Romans chapter 7, Romans chapter 7, picking it up in verse 14, Romans 7 verse 14. And what we're about to see are, are uh, the two natures, the two natures that are within the believer. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, there's only one nature. It's called the sin nature. It's called the flesh. If you're in Jesus, there are two natures. And the Bible clearly talks about this. That adds then, if you're in Jesus Christ, if you've, you believe in His resurrection from the dead, then there is a second nature. And that second nature <clears throat> has to do with the, the Spirit. And uh, so, let's, uh, let's take a look at that. <clears throat> Verse 14 of Romans chapter 7. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh, sold into bondage to sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of good of the good is not for the good that i want i do not do but i practice the very evil that i do not want but if i'm doing the very thing i do not want i'm no longer the one doing it but sin which dwells in me i find then the principle that evil is present in me the one who wants to do good for i joyfully concur with the law of god in the inner man but i see a different law in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members wretched man that I am who will set me free from the body of death thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord so then on the one hand I myself with my mind am serving the law of God but on the other with my flesh the law of sin this is an amazing portion it's an amazing portion because it's something that a believer turns to in frustration as they behold their own lives. All of us have felt this duality where we feel that there's something good that I want to do and I end up not doing it. And there's something quite bad that I don't want to do and I keep doing it. And one of the amazing things about this is this is Paul the Apostle writing. So God is guiding the pen of Paul to write these things. And this is a confession. This is a confession of Paul's that he's writing, and it's for everyone to read for thousands upon thousands of years. And because this is the Word of God, it will last forever. And this is an open confession of Paul's. And you think about it. You know, this is an amazing faith we have. This book, this Bible, takes men, takes women, and shows their weaknesses. It shows their weaknesses. Even if you consider somebody like Daniel, in whom we don't see him sin at all, but he ends up confessing his sins along with the sins of the nation. The only one that was sinless without sin was Jesus. But Paul now is confessing to things. So in verse 14, you see the first of several confessions here. 
He says, for we know. So in other words, this is something we know because we've studied this. We know that the law is spiritual. So that the law of God is a spiritual law. He says, we know this. This is academic for us. He says, but I'm of flesh, sold into bondage to sin. This is a confession. Paul is confessing, I'm of flesh. I am sold into bondage to sin. Just as it talked about in Romans chapter 6, that there is, you can be a slave of sin or a slave of righteousness. Without God, you are a slave of sin. There is no way out of it. There is this duality that's going on in our hearts, that's, that's happening in our hearts. And, and so what's happening is, is he says, I'm a flesh. He says, I'm sold into bondage to sin. Now this is an interesting portion because verse 14 through 25, you're going to see the word I used 30 times. The word me is going to be used 12 times, my four times, myself one time, Holy Spirit zero times. He is showing when I, when he does things in himself, this is the result of it. I 30 times, me 12 times, my four times, myself one time. This is filled of what happens to us when we look to ourselves. Because remember, the whole topic here is we have covered up until chapter 7, we have talked about justification. That is salvation. And we saw that salvation comes not by works, but by faith. And then when we come into the faith, there is often this feeling that we keep our approval with God through our works. And he, what he, and this is the sanctification, the setting apart to be approved by God. And what he's showing is sanctification is also going to be by faith and not by works. And this is an example of what happens when we try to do this in ourselves. Paul says, I am sold into bondage to sin. You talk about slavery to sin, you're looking at them. That's what Paul says. You look at other faiths. The prophets in other religions are pure. They say they don't sin. They're ordinary men, but they don't sin. I mean, the beautiful thing about this is, God gives us example after example in the scriptures, both Old Testament and New Testament. They're all sinners. All the prophets have sinned. It's only Jesus, the Son of God, who is righteous in every way. He alone is sinless. Paul is confessing here. He says, I'm so, my flesh is sold in a bondage to sin. Verse 15, for what I am doing, I don't understand. If I'm not practicing what I would like to do, but I'm doing the very thing that I hate. If you're a believer and you have walked some time with the Lord, you know exactly what he's talking about. So many times you want to do what's right and your mind goes off into evil, evil things. This is the story of my life. I mean, so often my life, even when I want to do the things that are right, I want to think about good thoughts, whatever is pure, whatever is holy, whatever is righteous, if there be anything of good repute, let your mind dwell on these things. So I know this verse, but I find my mind dwelling on all sorts of other things that are lustful thoughts. If you're a young man, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And for young women as well. But for young men, I am sure, because I've never been a young woman. But I'm telling you, from what I know of young men, every one of them struggle with this thing. And you, you just, you want to do what's right. 
You don't want this. And Paul says this. He says, for what I am doing, I don't understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I'm doing the very thing I hate. It's not just a matter of, yeah, I know it's wrong. Paul says, I hate it. I hate what goes on in my own mind. I hate it. So this struggle that you have is not just something for you. This is a struggle that everybody has. And what the enemy does is he gloms onto this and he makes us think, wow, I'm worse than anyone else in the world. No, Paul's saying we all struggle with this thing. This is a fact of Christian life. The unbeliever doesn't struggle with this duality because there's only one nature. And that's why very often you will talk to to unbelievers and they'll think, I'm pretty good. Yeah, I'm pretty good. I'm not bad. Nothing wrong with me. So I lose my temper once in a while, but... And uh, lustful, I mean, that's just natural. That, that's, that's being human. I mean, that's just natural. I mean, this, this total justification of it. Whereas when you get this second nature from God, now there's a battle. There's a battle between our flesh and the things of God. He says in verse 16, But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. He says, now that I have this battle, this is... Therefore, a testimony that there's this struggle because there is this good side and then there is this evil side. And he says, he says, uh, um, so now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. So in verse 17, again, he's talking about this dual nature. He says, it's not me anymore. It's the sin that dwells in me. Now he says in verse 18 comes another confession. He says, for I know. So this is something that he knows. Uh, um, So up in verse 14, it says, for we know. This is something that was academic, that they all knew. He says in verse 18, he says, here's something that I know. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of good is not. He says, I know this. I know myself. I know myself. And he says, I know nothing good dwells in me. So if you think you're pretty good, you're not mature enough yet. Alright? As you mature, you're going to find yourself stumbling again and again and again. And you will think, wow, I'm not as good as I thought I was. He says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me. You know what nothing means? It means nothing. Zero. Not even just a little bit of good. Nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. In that sin nature that I've inherited from Adam. Nothing good is there in it. He says, for the willing is present in me, but the doing of good is not. He says, I will to do good, but I don't. That's the believer's struggle. For the good that I want to do, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. I mean, how many young men have, have, have struggled with this thing? And like, did I go there again? Why did I go to that website again? Why was I looking at that again? I just, I, I just know how wrong that was. Why have my thoughts wandered into this area again? And, and 
there's this, this feeling like I just want to die because I know how wrong this thing is. This is the struggle that goes on within the life of the believer. Did I end up in a relationship with that guy again? I knew it was so wrong. I feel so dirty. This is what he's talking about. This is the reality of life with which we battle. He says, you try to fight this thing yourself, you're going to lose. This is the whole section that's all built around I. You're going to lose if you try to fight this yourself. Verse 20. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I'm no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. Now in verse 21, he's going to come up with another confession. So he's not done confessing. And in verse 21, he starts it out, I find. So this is something that he has found by studying his own life. By analyzing his own life, this is something that he has has come upon. This is something that he has deduced by studying his own life. He says, I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. He says, I find this. This is a principle. Evil is present in me even though I want to do good. I mean, you look at the life of the believer. They want to do good. They go on mission trips. They go on service things. They want to do good. I, I really want to do good. But I find that evil is present in me. It's it's there. Evil is present in me. The one who wants to do good. You see this confession? This is three times by a great man of God. You think it's easy to confess these things? Now, when you are with your friends, and you have a little confession time, and you talk about what... That's one thing. But... Say you're, you're with uh, junior high school students and you're teaching them a Bible study. Now you're supposed to be something. Something more than they are. You're supposed to be a leader to them. And now you're confessing to them. And say, say you graduate and you, you go to graduate school and you get your PhD and now you're a professor. And now you're really something. And now... You're meeting with students and you're confessing the weakness in your own life. You're supposed to be all fixed up by this time. This guy is like at the pinnacle. He is the the chief of the apostles. He's the man. And he says, you want to know what my life is like? Here's what it is. You will never outgrow this. He said, you know, at my age, you think I'd, I'd have outgrown all of these lustful thoughts. Boy, I would love if that were the case. If that were the case, that would be just tremendous. Then I'd say, just just hold tight for a few decades and you'll be all right. It is a constant thing where you are dictated to walk with the Holy Spirit. Because salvation is not a sham. There is victory in the Holy Spirit. But when you live this thing in yourself, you are overcome over and over again. And this is part of the Christian walk. This is part of learning to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. He says in verse 22, For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. But I see a different law 
in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members. How much more explicit could the man be? He said, this is a war. This is a war. These two things within me, these two natures within me, it's a war. There is a war going on within me. Believers know what this war is. I can tell you young men know what this war is. When there's a struggling to think right thoughts and your mind is consumed by thoughts that you know are evil, it is a war. War going on in our hearts. This is the war he's talking about. And he says, there's a different law in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind. My mind wants me to do one thing. The members of my body are doing another thing. My mind says, look right. My eyes go, I'm looking left. Because as soon as you try to fight this law in your own, you're going to lose. The law says, don't do this. You say, oh, yes, I will. The law says, do that. You say, oh, no, I won't. And the members of your body are just going in the other direction. This is what he's saying. And he says, this is making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. The members of my body have become a prisoner to sin. That's what he was talking about, the slavery of sin. Do you see how this relates to the struggle of the believer? The unbeliever doesn't have that struggle. So when you have this struggle, it is not an indication that you're not a believer. It's an indication that you are a believer. This is the indication that you are a believer. Unbelievers don't have this struggle. I counsel with students all the time, both believers and unbelievers. Unbelievers don't come and share this struggle with me. They don't. The struggles might, might be different, but it's not this struggle. This is the struggle that believers come and share with me. And I know exactly what they're talking about. Because I've been there. And then in verse 24, after three confessions, you see his cry of despair. Verse 24, Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Wretched man that I am. Have you ever done anything where you've thought, I am so disgusting. How could I have lost my temper again and said what I said? I swore to myself that I would never do that again. And I did it again. I committed that I would never fall into that illicit relationship again. And I did it again. You see the cry of despair. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of sin, of, of, from the body of this death? This is the portion you go back to. This and Psalm 51, where you see the despairing cry of, of, of David after his sin with Bathsheba. He says, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? But you know the beautiful thing? Paul didn't stop there. 
because salvation is not a sham. The next verse is, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other hand, with my flesh, the law of sin. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. I'm telling you, every good thing that comes in life comes through Jesus Christ. Every good thing. That's why forever and ever you will be praising Jesus. And it will never be enough. Praising Jesus forever and ever. You cannot praise Him enough. Oh, I urge you to build your life around praising Jesus Praise Him that you can take a breath in the morning. Praise Him that you can see. Praise Him that you can hear. Praise Him that you have relationships, that you have a roof over your head. Oh, praise Him. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks be to God. There is victory in Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He did not stay there. Paul did not stay there. You don't have to stay there as a believer. Then he goes into chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When you be in Jesus Christ, no condemnation. Jesus said, yeah, I, I, I see this struggle going on within you. I just want you to know, I don't condemn you. Just like the woman who was caught in adultery. Jesus said, I don't condemn you either. She's like, you don't condemn me? She said, I don't condemn you either. Jesus said, there's no condemnation, not for you. You be in Christ, there's no condemnation. You may be pounding on yourself, but I'm not pounding on you. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You be in Jesus. It is in Jesus and in Him only. When you be in Jesus, there is no condemnation. Without Jesus, you stand condemned. And that's what it tells us. He who believes in the Son has life and is not condemned. He who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. John chapter 3, I think it's verse 36, the last verse of that chapter. You stand condemned already if you don't know Jesus. If you be in Jesus, there is no condemnation. And he says, for the law of the spirit of life. He's given us a new law. The law of the spirit of life. He's talking about this Holy Spirit. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. You don't have to stay there. There is life. There is life. If you could, if you could summarize this message, it is move on. You don't stay there. You don't stay there. You don't sit in the end of chapter seven and just sit there day after day after day, year after year. You don't stay there. 
Look what Paul says. I want you to look in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. The book of Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. We're going to read verse 12 through 14 of Philippians chapter 3. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's what Paul does. That's what Paul does. I urge you, do not stay in the, in, 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 in Romans chapter 14, verse 24. Wretched man that I am. Don't stay there. Paul says, look, you want to know the truth about me? Here, I'm going to tell you. I'll give you three confessions. Not one, not two, but three. Three confessions. There is no good in me. That is in my flesh. Nothing. I can't be more explicit than that. And you want to know what, what, what struggles? Paul never really revealed the sins that he, that he struggled with. Oh yeah? Look up in, in, uh, um, in this same chapter. In this same chapter, he revealed that his struggle was clearly, clearly with, with, um, uh, um, with coveting. His struggle was clearly with coveting. In verse 7, he says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, taking the opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. You want to know what Paul's struggle was? Coveting. Well, what's coveting? Well, when you look at it in, in the Ten Commandments, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not covet your neighbor's male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Paul struggled with coveting of every t- kind. Coveting of every time kind includes his neighbor's wife, his neighbor's belongings, his neighbor's servants, his, his neighbor's ox, his neighbor's donkey. Paul had all sorts of coveting. He was very explicit about his sin. He says, I've told you everything right here. I tell you everything. But my life, I am not going to stay there. I am pressing on. I am pressing on. He says in Philippians chapter chapter uh, 3, verse... Uh, um, 12, not that I've already obtained it or I've already become perfect. He says, look, I'm not saying I'm perfect, but I press on that I may hold, lay hold of that for which I was also laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Jesus has called me, he's laid hold of me, and I'm pressing on in that regard. He says, brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. Again, he's underscoring, look, I'm not saying that I'm 100% in this. But let me tell you where I am. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. Oh, if I could get you to forget what lies behind. Do not sit there and think about, oh, 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 
I just blew it so bad. Yeah, that was four years ago, but just I just can't get past that. Paul says, enough, enough. Quit moping around about that. Enough. That's the end. No more. It's done. It's the past. That's covered by the blood of Jesus. It's over. You're moving on. You're moving on. The enemy would love to sit, have you sit there and stare at your belly button for years and not get up and do anything. And Paul says, move on. Enough of that. He says, one thing I do, I forget what lies behind. I mean, if that man could not forget what lies behind, he's the guy who was the persecutor of the church. He used to pull families apart, throw people into prison. He held the cloaks when the first martyr in the church was killed. He says, let me hold my, your coats for you. Because, you know, you know if, if, if you got your coats, you can't throw rocks really hard at Stephen and kill him. Let me hold the coats and so, for all of you. So that you can really throw. I mean, this was a bad guy. Look at David, his sin with Bathsheba. I am always amazed that he could recover, not just by the sin of Bathsheba, but by having her husband killed and a bunch of other guys killed as well just to cover up his sin. Yet the man could recover. That's amazing. How many of you have killed a bunch of people to cover up some adulterous affair? Okay, none of you. So none of you is even where David was. But the man could recover. That's the mark of godliness. Recovery. Not sinlessness, but recovery. But one thing I do, I forget what lies behind and I reach forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You know, when I see a man of God, I love to watch them. And it's, it's like, you know, I would be young and I'd see these men of God and they, they seemed so confident. Great men of God, they're so confident. You know, coming to... And they weren't worried that they had to get up and, you know, address this audience of, of 10,000 people. You look at them and they were just so cool. Locked and loaded and ready to go. Confident. It's like, it's like when a man who knows how to ride a horse. You know, they just jump up on the horse and psh, off they go. You're not worried that this horse is gonna fall down. If, if, if you've never ridden a horse before, oh no, no, it stumbled. It's gonna fall on me. It's gonna kill me. It's gonna take off and I'm gonna manage renew. Just confident. Just confident. You go to the rodeo and you see these guys get up on this horse. Or that woman who stands on the back of the horse while it's just going full speed. Got a flag in her hand with sparks shooting out of the top. I mean, just amazing confidence. These men of God have this amazing confidence. And it's not because they're sinless. But they've taken hold and they say, I'm not looking back. I'm not looking back. This is the whole thing. He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks be to God. Who is going to save this wretched man that I am? Who will set me free from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus does it. It's because of Jesus. Jesus does it. It's because of Jesus. When I look at these men of God, they just commit their lives to Jesus. This is Jesus. This is because of Jesus. 
and these little things going on, you know, some babies crying in the, you know, and everybody's like, babies crying, oh, it doesn't affect the man of God. He's preaching on. It doesn't affect him. Because he just keeps preaching. Because he knows this is in God's hands. If God wanted the baby quiet, he could have kept that baby quiet. Now, there's going to be some deacon go and ask, you know, you know, these parents to, to quiet their kid or something. But he's preaching on. He's going on. This is the confidence that comes by doing exactly what Paul said. This is why Paul could be so confident after his wretched past. He says, I'm the worst of sinners. But I don't look back. I don't look back. That's the key. You don't look back. Yeah, I, I was like that, all right? All right already. All right, that's how I was. But I'm not there anymore. I'm going forward. I'm going ahead. He says, I, this one thing I do, I'm not perfect, but one thing I do, I forget what lies behind. Now, how can you really forget? Because if you try to forget something, you're going to remember it forever. Okay, try, try to forget anything. I, right now, try to forget. Right now. Try to forget what you just ate for breakfast. Try to forget that. You can't. The more you try to forget it, the more you're going to remember. But just Paul said, I don't even dwell on that thing. I'm going ahead. The enemy brings this up and says, what about that? That you did two years ago. You're not really that great. The blood. (laughs) It's covered by the blood. I'm going on. I'm going on. He says, I forget what lies behind and I reach forward to what lies ahead. And that's the victory that comes in Christ. It is this perfect confidence in the blood of Jesus. Because sanctification, just like justification, that there is salvation by faith and not by works, sanctification is by faith and not by works. It is by faith. And the only victory you see here, the only victory is in chapter 8 in the Holy Spirit. That's where the victory comes. It's in the Holy Spirit. If you do not know Christ, if you've not accepted Jesus, if you've not accepted His resurrection, what happens is there is no power, no power to overcome this thing within yourself. I urge you to come and talk to me. You come to me today, you will get saved today. Send me an email today. I will check my email, tour at rice.edu. I will check my email. You will get saved today. You, you send me an email today, I'll check my email today. We'll meet together by Zoom, you'll get saved. If you're here, you just come and see me right after this class. I guarantee you within 30 minutes after this class, you will get saved. And there will be a new nature come into your life. And there will be a power. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the truth of your word. And everything, every good thing is in Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for what you did on the cross. Because we have been buried with you on that cross. And we have been raised with you in your resurrection. That is how we are looked upon. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that all of this is because of you. All of this is because of you. It is the mercy of God that has come and been displayed through Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the work that you have done on the cross. Forever and ever I shall thank you. Thank you, Father, for sending your Son to provide a way for me so that I don't have to look back on all that sin which encumbered me. 
but I can press on ahead. Thank you, Lord, for these young people. Give them a victory, a victory in their lives. Give them a powerful victory in their lives. For the glory of Jesus. And in his name, I commit them to you. And Father, I pray that you move the unbelievers to come and see me today so that they can get saved today. Why need they be under the bondage of sin for even another hour? Lord, save their souls. And I commit this to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.